0: At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you would now please take out your Bibles and turn in them to the book of First Corinthians and chapter number three, 1 Corinthians chapter number three, and we're going to be covering a lot of ground today, all right? So hold on to your spiritual hats. You know, home building shows are very popular in our culture right now, and it reminds me, these home building shows, of one of the strangest building of a home that has ever occurred in America, and that was one that happened at the Winchester House in San Jose, California. California. And it's an interesting house. It was built by Sarah Winchester, who is the wife of William Winchester of the Winchester Rifle Fortune. And Sarah had trauma in her life. She lost her six-week-old infant daughter, Annie. And then a while later, she lost her husband, William, to tuberculosis. And when he died, she inherited in today's dollars more than a half billion dollars, plus 50% of the Winchester Company. She moved to San Jose and bought a small farmhouse there, um, thinking that she would just add to it as time went along. And she was very obsessed with grief over losing her daughter and her husband, so she decided to consult a spiritist, a, a medium, And that medium told her, having this little spirit session with her, that she was in danger of being haunted by spirits of those who'd been killed by Winchester rifles. Also, the medium went on to tell her that as long as you keep adding to your house, you will not die. So what she did for the next 36 years... Um, More than a third of a century, she invested in today's dollars about $71 million building this house and building this house and building this house, 24,000 square feet, 161 rooms, 10,000 windows, 2,000 doors, 47 fireplaces, 40 stairways. She became obsessed because of the spiritism in her life with the number 13. She would usually hire 13 carpenters at a time to be building the building. It had 13 bathrooms. Many of the windows have 13 panes in them. Often the ceilings had 13 panels in them. Many of the closets had 13 hooks in them. Uh, Some of the chandeliers had 13 globes on them. She had spiderweb windows. There were twists and there were turns and there were dead ends all over the house. The corridors would often lead nowhere. She was partially concerned about being able to avoid the spirits who might be bothering her. Um, They had doors that led to a brick wall. One door led to the outside in a 50-foot drop. There were secret passageways in the house. She had a seance room there. She would sleep in a different room every night trying to avoid the spirits who might haunt her. When she died in 1923, they began to offer tours of the Winchester house. Now you say, okay, Bruce, that's a weird story. You know, why are you telling us that story? Well, there's actually some parallel. Because every believer is a builder, and every one of us is building for spiritual reasons, but for different spiritual reasons than she did. One of the analogies is we are a builder, and the vital question for each one of us is how are we building what we are building? Now, we've been talking about eternal rewards, and we've been using as base passages Romans 14 and 2 Corinthians 5. We've been looking at chapter 14 verse 10 of Romans, for we will all stand before the judgment seat, the Bema of God. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat, the Bema of Christ. And if you've been with us in our study so far, hopefully you are feeling that this is not an insignificant incident that is future for each one of us. Rather, it is a Monumental matter that we all need to be alert to, this Bema. Now, each of our messages is building on the previous two, so if you missed the first two messages, I would encourage you to go and listen to them. But here is today's plan. This is what we're going to cover today, and we're going to be moving quickly. We're going to look at three analogies of the Christian life. We're going to look at some specific rewards, and then we're going to end with two concluding thoughts. Now we gave you a preview last time of these three analogies of the Christian life. We said everyone is a builder, everyone is a manager, and every believer is a marathoner. Now these are analogies, no doubt, if you've been around Scripture that you've heard and seen before, but it's important to understand that these analogies of being a builder, a manager, and a marathoner are really the basis of our evaluation at the reward seat at the Bema of Christ. So we want to talk about how every believer is a builder. And if you've turned to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in your Bibles, I want to read verses 10 to 15, invite you to follow along as I'm reading. Paul writes, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved so as through fire. Now, again, this this analogy, this first one of every believer being a builder is one that we should have a cultural affinity for because, you know, you have all those popular home improvement shows. You know, you have Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanna. You have property brothers. You have hometown with Ben and Aaron, and there are more. But this is an analogy that he's communicating to the believers in the city of Corinth. And I want to just remind you that those who had come to Christ in the city of Corinth came to Christ in a very fleshly city. And we learn really from the first four verses of 1 Corinthians Chapter 3, and other parts of Corinthians, that they were struggling as followers of Jesus with carnality in their life. They were struggling with living fleshly lives. They had fallen, many of them, into periods of just strife and conflict among them as believers, and they were struggling with spiritual pride. And in verse 9, he says to those believers, You are God's building. And he says, each man must be careful, verse 10 at the end, how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying to these believers in Corinth is he says, I laid a foundation, and that foundation, as I built this into your lives and leading you to Jesus, that foundation is Jesus Christ himself. Now, when you come to 1 Corinthians 3, there are some very good Bible teachers who would say, well, listen, the people who build on the foundation aren't really individual believers. It's the spiritual leaders who are doing the building. And a lot of times they'll point to earlier on when he's using analogy of a field, he says, I, Paul, planted and Apollos watered. And some would say, it's not individual believers who build, but I don't really think that is the case. Paul seems to emphasize here that this is something that every believer does. And you see this over and over again in the passage. In verse 10, he says, but each man, not just leaders, each man must be careful how he builds. Verse 12, if any man builds on the foundation. Verse 13, each man's work will become evident. Verse 13 talks about the testing of the quality of what? Each man's work. Verse 14, if any man's work remains, he will receive a reward. Verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. So the picture of the analogy here is that Jesus Christ is the foundation. We are the builder who builds on that foundation. What, what does that mean? It means that we're going to be evaluated one day for the choices we made in our spiritual life, and we will be evaluated for our faithfulness. It says there in verse 13, each man's work will become evident, literally will be manifest. And so each one of us is a builder. And the question is, as we build, is what we're building worthy of reward or unworthy of reward? Are my life choices built around my will, even as a follower of Jesus, or his will? Am I building by the energizing of the Holy Spirit? Or am I living my life in the energy of my flesh? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which, remember, is one of our contexts for the Bema, Paul draws this point. He he goes on to say, here's what you need to be learning. No longer live for yourselves, but for him who died and rose on your behalf. And, And so a legitimate question that we should be asking really monthly, if not weekly, is am I living for myself or am I living for him? Now, as a builder, there are two possibilities. Possibility number one is that I build with lasting materials, pictured here as gold, silver, precious stones. And when the bema comes, when the test comes, if what we've built remains, we shall receive a reward. And it goes on to say there that the day will show it. What day is that? The day of the Bema will show it. It will be revealed with fire. What does that really mean? Does it mean literal fire is going to? I mean, it's an analogy. We we learn in the book of the Revelation in chapter 1, verse 14, chapter 2, verse 18, chapter 19, verse 12, it says there that the eyes of Jesus are like a flame of fire. What does that really mean? It doesn't mean he's actually got fire popping out. It means that his, his eyes, his perception, it's very penetrating. It's very revealing. And it seems like the idea is that he's going to evaluate how we have built. If we have built in a spiritual way with imperishable acts and choices in our life, things will remain. And when they remain, we will receive a reward. That's possibility number one. Possibility number two is that we choose at times to build with inferior materials, pictured as wood, hay, and straw, And as that evaluation comes, those kinds of things are burned up. And we will suffer loss, the loss of what? Textually, contextually, reward. Yet he himself will be saved. I want you to notice that as this evaluation of fire, if you will, comes, what burns is the works, not the worker. But he suffers loss, this builder does. And that is the forfeiture of reward. Yet, as it says in verse 15, he himself will be saved. See, I want to say this again. When a person sees the work of Jesus Christ, what he has done on our behalf, and puts his trust and faith in what he has done, and we are born again, we are brought into the family of God, our eternal destiny is settled forever. But our spiritual faithfulness is yet to be evaluated. The worst-case scenario, what we have built on the foundation is burned up, but we're never excluded from heaven. But you see, that's why John says in 2 John 8, watch yourselves, we could use this analogy, on how you're building that you may receive a full reward. Now, let me just say this. Does any believer out there build perfectly in their spiritual life with gold, silver, and precious stones? Any any believer do that perfectly? And the answer is no. I mean, we all still sin. We will all still make some poor choices in how we're living out our spiritual life. We're all, from time to time, going to make some spiritual mistakes. From time to time, we're all going to have some failures of faith. But the better choices that we make the greater reward that will come to us. Now, again, I want to go back to this common objection I hear from time to time, and they say, reward, come on. That's so mercenary-like. It just has that mercenary feel to it, Bruce. Well, I think one of the things we don't understand is that there are three noteworthy motivations in the Christian life, and I want to talk about them. Three things that should motivate us in our Christian life. The first one is gratitude for His mercy and grace. That should motivate me and how I choose to live my life. We see that very clearly stated for us in Hebrews 12 28. He says, Therefore, let us be what? Grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. He says it's a good thing to be motivated by gratitude for his mercy and grace. We see a similar argument that comes in the book of Romans. If you know your way around the book of Romans, you'll know that he spends 11 chapters talking about everything God has done for us. Then you come to chapter 12, verse 1. He says, there four, in light of everything that he has done, in light of his mercy and his grace that has been extended to us, I urge you by the mercies of God, that's the first 11 chapters, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual service of worship. One of the motivations we have for living our Christian life is gratitude for his mercy and grace. A second noteworthy motivation is his great love for us. And we see that in 1 John 4, 19. We love, why? Because he first loved us. And that is a motivation for how we live our Christian life. His mercy and grace motivates us. His great love for us motivates us. And then the third noteworthy motivation in the Christian life is what we're studying in this series, the prospect of eternal reward. Now, over the years, as as I've even shared some of this principle about reward from Scripture, I have had people actually say this to me. I don't really care about reward. You know, this this gets me motivated, and this gets me motivated. I don't care about this third one at all. And you know what I say to that? I say, really? I mean, when when I look into Hebrews chapter 11... I find Moses sought the reward. He was motivated in his life by the reward. When you look at the Apostle Paul, and we're going to see some of that this morning, Paul sought the reward. He talked about it more than anybody else talked about it. And we've already seen how the Apostle John urges us in 2 John 8, "'Watch yourselves that you may have a full reward.'" And I realize I'm not the smartest guy in the universe, but here's the way I look at this. If God says it's important, it's important. And he knows infinitely more about eternity than we do. We have no clue really what's back there except for what Scripture gives us a little bit of revelation about. He knows everything about it, and he says reward is important. So we have these three analogies of the Christian life. The first one, that every believer is a builder. And listen carefully here, because some of us look backwards with some regret. It is never too late to build well, okay? It's never too late to build well. The second analogy that we have is that every believer is a manager. Every believer is a manager. And we're gonna, these second two uh, analogies we're going to spend less time on You can explore them more on your own. But the key New Testament word for a manager is the word steward. That was the term that they used in their day. We would use the word manager. What does a manager or a steward do? They are entrusted with the resources of other people, and then they are therefore responsible to manage those resources. And the key principle of a manager or a steward is, is from 1 Corinthians 4.2. It says, It is required of a steward or a manager to be found faithful. Now, 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 tune in for a moment. Every one of us in this room who names the name of Christ has received resources from God himself. One of the resources he gives to us is the resource of time. And I want to remind you, not everybody has the same resource of time given to them. A very good friend of mine uh, here at Wildwood got cancer in his 30s and died. God gave a greater resource of time to me than he gave to him. God gives us abilities. God gives us each spiritual gifts. God gives to all of us certain spiritual opportunities. God gives to every one of us financial resources, We all know, right, we don't all have the same financial resources. We have different financial resources that are given to us. But here's the idea. I am to be faithful with what God has given to me. We see some illustrations of this idea of being a manager in Luke chapter 19. You don't need to go there. It's the parable of the minas. You can look it up later. The M-I-N-A-S, the minas. And what, it's a story that Jesus tells. He's making a point. He talks about how a nobleman is going to leave. He leaves certain resources with his servants, but he's going to return. Remember, the nobleman is a picture of Christ who's leaving, and he's going to return. And when he comes back, the question he has for all of his servants is, how have you invested what I gave you? And the idea there in that story is that they will be rewarded according to how they managed what the master, the nobleman, gave to them. See another illustration of it in Luke chapter 16 uh, where where you have the parable of the shrewd steward. It's one of my favorite parables. It's this guy who, who does some things that you think might not have been totally on the up and up. But in the story, he is commended by Jesus for for this. He was shrewd enough to look to the future. He made some choices in his life with an eye to his future interests. And Jesus says that's something we all ought to be doing. One of my favorite verses is from Luke 16, 9. This is where he's telling that whole story of the shrewd steward. And he says, I say to you... Make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. What is the wealth of unrighteousness? It's the wealth of this world. Make friends for yourselves by the means of the wealth of this world so that when it fails, it becomes worthless at the point of death, they, these spiritual friends that you garnered, will receive you into eternal dwellings. That's an exciting thing. Think about it. certain in in management of the resources God has given to me in a way that might influence some people to come to know Christ. And then when I go to heaven, I have eternal friends who are there to greet me. You know, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 20, Jesus gives that command we're all familiar with, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, a command given to you and given to me. He said, well, What exactly is treasure in heaven? You know, we're not really told precisely what it is. But here's what we are told. Jesus says, it is desirable, it is beneficial, it is wise, therefore, do it. Do it. Be a good manager. Now, I'm just going to self-confess with you, and I suspect many of you are the same way. I think it's easy for all of us to play what I call the spiritual if game. What is the spiritual if game? Here's the spiritual if game: If I had more money, wow, then I would really be investing it in eternal treasure. If I had more gifts and abilities, you know, then then I would do it. But I, I don't really have that many. If I had more time, because you see, I don't have a lot of time, but if I had more time, you know, then, if I had more opportunities, then, but here's the thing we need to remember. Each one of us is responsible for what God has provided to us. Don't play the spiritual if game. It's a psych out. Now, all of this, by the way, that each one of us are managers and we're responsible to manage the resources that God has given to us, not the resources God has given to somebody else, is actually very encouraging. From another angle, it is very encouraging. I like the way Daniel Henderson put it. He put it this way, Good news, the Lord will not judge you because you did not evangelize like Billy Graham. You go, wow, a little relief there. He will not judge you because you did not teach like Tim Keller or write like Max Lucado. I can't write like Max Lucado. He will, he goes on to say, simply evaluate why you were or were not the best you that he created and graced you to be as a faithful steward and fruitful disciple. That is encouraging. So... Every believer is a builder. Every believer is a manager. And I want to say it again. Don't be caught just looking backwards. You can learn from the past. It's never too late to manage well. Okay? And then the third analogy is that every believer is a marathoner, a marathoner. And this is the one maybe we're most familiar with, the idea of of running a life race and we see this talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 24 to 27. In verse 24, Paul says to every believer, run the race in such a way that you may win. What 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 is the, what am I going to win? What does it mean win? It means reward. And then in verse 25, he says, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath. This is talking about those athletic games. But we do it to receive an imperishable one. How do we exercise self-control? How do we run well? It means we don't get overly focused on the passing pleasures of this life. Some people who know Christ get very, very focused on that. Rather, we become focused on eternal reward. And what it means is when it talks about exercising self-control, it means at times I sacrifice my personal desires to pursue God's desires in my life. It's interesting, in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I am concerned. I don't want to be disqualified. He thought it was possible to be disqualified. That doesn't mean barred from heaven. He wasn't worried about that. But he said, "I, I don't want to miss out on the reward at all. You come to his last letter in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. He's there. He he says, now, I've, I've finished the marathon here. I've finished the course. I've run the race. I'm so glad I ran it well and I'm finishing well. So think about this. If all the inheritance that we might receive and all the rewards we might receive is all predetermined the moment we trust in Christ... Why don't we just relax and coast? Well, it's not all predetermined. How we run the race will determine a lot of our reward. So our plan today was to... uh, Oops, skipped one there. The analogies of the Christian life, we want to look at that. And then we wanted to look at some specific rewards. Very important to look at these specific rewards. Now, generally, when we talk about the Bema, I think there's two categories of feedback that are going to come to us from our Savior. The first category of feedback is going to be praise, verbal praise from our Savior, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Then each man's praise will come to him from God. And we're all familiar with the phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. You notice it doesn't say good and perfect servant, because there are none of those. It says, well done, good and faithful servant. So part of the feedback we're going to get is going to be praise from the Savior, but the other part we're going to get are rewards of honor. And, and we don't know exactly what all of that is. Those, that honor is not explicitly in detail described for us. We do know that there are mentioned in the New Testament some crown rewards. Now, in the original language, there's two words for a crown. One is a diadem, that's the ruling crown that we often think of. But the other one is the Stephanos, which is the victor's wreath that would be handed to the victor in the athletic games. And we have some of those Stephanos rewards mentioned. And I want to look at them real quickly. One of them that is mentioned is the Stephanos of Glory. We found that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 to 4. This is a Stephanos that will be given to faithful leaders in the church. You know, not all leaders of the church who even know Christ are, are faithful leaders. Faithful leaders who have sacrificially served God's flock by leading and feeding and protecting the flock and being godly examples to the flock those leaders will receive the Stephanos of glory. There's a second one I want to look at real quickly, and that is the Stephanos of righteousness. And this is what's talked about at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. The Stephanos of righteousness is given when we fulfill the ministry that God has designed for us, I had a ministry designed for me by God. You have a ministry designed for you by him. And when we fulfill that ministry, we receive the Stephanos of righteousness. We receive that Stephanos of righteousness by persevering to the end of the course. That's what Paul's talking about here. He says, I'm finishing well. I'm not finishing bad, nose-diving spiritually I'm finishing well. And when we do that, we receive the Stephanos of righteousness. Not everybody receives the Stephanos of Righteousness. And if you go back to 2 Timothy 4, you'll see one individual who's mentioned who, who does not receive this. His name is Demas D-E-M-A-S. And Paul says, you know, he he loved this present world. He got off the race. I want you to know this Stephanos of righteousness, this is one of the aims of my life. I want that reward. I want that reward. Now, I understand, and it's it's true for all of us, there there are different times in our life, and we're not always ministering and serving Jesus Christ and other people at the same level. So there's times we might be adjusting our ministry, but I always get a little perturbed when I hear from some of the older crowd who say, Well, you know, I served past tense, it's now the younger people's turn. Like I'm retiring from ministry. What? Ministry should never cease in our life. It may adjust, but never cease. Look at look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 15 58. Who do you think this is addressed to? This is not addressed. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that clarification, all of us, not just to leaders. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. How often are we be serving Him? Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Hebrews chapter six, verse ten: God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards His name in having ministered in the past. He's not going to forget that and in still ministering presently to the saints. You see how that works. A third stephanos is called the stephanos of life. Now, this is not the gift of life. Romans 6.23, we get that when we trust Christ. This is the crown of life, the stephanos of life. And by the way, this one is very, very encouraging. Anybody ever faced adversity and difficulty in their life? Anyone having to deal with suffering and pain in their life? Well, this is a crown that can be earned by those who go through those kinds of things. It's mentioned in in James chapter 1 and verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under the trial, that difficulty, that suffering, that adversity we've gone through. For when he has stood the test, what happens? he will receive the crown the stephanos of life this is very encouraging because sometimes we don't understand some of the things we're going through but what it's saying is if we will keep trusting the lord through it the stephanos of life will come to us this is especially encouraging for for those in other parts of the world especially cuz we don't necessarily have the physical persecution but in the book of the Revelation, chapter 2, verse 10, to the church at Smyrna, Jesus says, don't fear when you're, what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. I haven't had that experience yet. I hope I don't. So that you will be tested. Be faithful until death, and what happens? I will give you the crown, the Stephanos of life. In Luke chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, Jesus said this to the disciples. He says, when you're hated, when you're ostracized, when you're insulted, when you're scorned for my sake, you know what it says next? It says leap for joy. When you're hated, ostracized, insulted, and scorned for my sake, leap for joy. Your reward in heaven is great. See, it is the awareness of the Bema men and women that propelled Paul through prisons and shipwrecks and beatings and stonings and perils and weariness and hunger and discomfort and ailments and burdens of the churches. It propelled him through all those things. You know, jot down 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 18. The next time you're experiencing adversity, difficulty, suffering, all that kind of stuff, go right there and get some perspective about it from God's view. And then the fourth one we want to look at is the Stephanos, what I call the Stephanos of delight. It's a very interesting one. Of the Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, he says this to them, he says, what is our hope? What is our joy or the crown, the Stephanos, in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? He says, is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And then in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, he says to the Philippians, my beloved brethren, my joy and what? Stephanos. You're my Stephanos. There are only two things in this world that will last forever. Remember what they are? The Word of God and people. And one of the greatest delights and rewards that we will experience is when we are greeted and we're able to interact with these eternal friends who we played a part in in various levels in having them come to Christ. Whether we're leading someone to faith whether we're assisting someone to come to faith by inviting them to things or praying for them, whether we're financially supporting others who are involved in outreach. Remember again, Matthew 10, 41, he who receives a prophet, you know, ministers to and helps out a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. That's very motivating. That's why we get involved in other people's ministries and lives because we get to receive multiple reward rewards by investing in that way. Now, here's a question for us. Are these crowns going to be literal crowns? I mean, if I get more than one, am I sort of stacking them on my head? Well, we don't know for certain, but it seems to me they, they are probably more tangible illustrations of rewards that we might enjoy. Will every believer experience joy in eternity? The answer to that is yes. Will every believer experience the same blessing in heaven? The answer to that is no. It's the difference between them, the life choices we make in our spiritual walk. Now, two concluding thoughts. First, are rewards really that important? Why don't you answer that for me? What does the New Testament have to say? The Lord Jesus certainly emphasized it in a great way. And we just don't understand, because we don't understand what's beyond the door of death. I want to remind you of what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined What? all that God has prepared for those who love him. We don't have any real clue. He's given us some information, but, oh, it's going to be far more fabulous than we ever imagined. Second concluding thought. Aren't rewards going to be an ego trip? I mean, isn't this the way it's going to be in heaven? You know, I'm going to say, look at me. Look at what I got that you have. Is that the way it's going to be? You know, when I was a young boy, before there was Nike and before there was Adidas, there were two kinds of sneakers that you could buy, two brands. One was KEDs, and the other one was PF Flyers. Some of you are younger, never heard of PF Flyers. But if you watch the TV commercials in those days of, of PF Flyers, they would say PF Flyers, they help you to run faster and jump higher. And in the commercials, you would see these kids, scenes of kids, you know, running and jumping and doing all these things, and they say, would PF Flyers, the shoes that winners choose? Well, I wanted to be a winner, so I got myself a pair of PF Flyers, and I began to kind of run around and jump around, and you know what? I realized it's not the shoe, it's who is in the shoe that makes the difference. And the same thing is going to be true of us. It's not the me, it's who is in me. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, it's by the grace of God I am what I am. Am I going to take credit for it? No. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. He said, I labored more than all of them yet, 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 not I, but the grace of God with me. I can't have any bragging going on because What did I do ultimately? It was the one who was in me who did it. You know, last week we talked about how the victor in the Isthmian games, you know, he would win that victory, and he would often then go back to his hometown, and he had this victor's wreath, this Stephanos that he would win, and he would often place that Stephanos on the altar of his local deity. And you know what's interesting? That's exactly what we see being pictured in the New Testament. In Revelation chapter 4, We have this whole idea here, Revelation 4, 4, and then verses 10 and 11. We have the 24 elders there. They are a picture of the church, and they're clothed in white garments, and they have on their heads golden crowns, Stephanos, plural. And in verses 10 and 11 of that chapter, they cast their Stephanos before the throne. And they say, "'Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power.'" Now, here's what's interesting to think about. The ability to give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be the most valuable commodity in eternity. You want as much of that as you can get for his honor and glory. Rewards, men and women, are a motivation for when we are being tempted, for when we are tired, for when we are discouraged, for when we are suffering. And I want to say this again. It's never too late to build well. It's never too late to manage well. It's never too late to run well for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we think of this picture here in the book of Revelation toward the end when there are myriads of myriads of myriads gathered. And when everyone, a picture of us being there is going to be saying, Not worthy is Bruce, we're going to be saying worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We will be saying to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever. Amen.